No one, the woman was caught in adultery, Jesus. He said he, he bent down and he was riding in the sand. And the, and the Pharisees said, the law of Moses says that we should stone this woman. Do you remember how God wrote the Ten Commandments? He wrote it with his finger. So I believe Jesus was writing a new law in the sand that says there's no condemnation in Jesus Christ. Go and sin no more. That there's a law greater than the law of Moses. It's the law of the Spirit. It's the law of love. I do not condemn you. Go and sin no more. So Jesus didn't make an excuse for his sin, but he did say, you are forgiven. And that you can start new today. Right now. So that's... Uh, some of you may need to hear that this morning where you're just like, I've just, I keep doing the same thing over and over and over. The, the cycle can break and stop today. It can be today, it can be the day. And the Lord wants it to be the day because he said today is the day of salvation. He said, to, and in Hebrews it says, today as you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. be seated before we get into the sermon I want to uh, Claudia come on up here we're going to do some popcorn prophecy over you how many of y'all know Claudia she's a beautiful soul um, I've just recently starting to kind of get to know Claudia, but I just feel like the Lord's hand on her life. And I was even asking the Lord this morning, it's like, Lord, give me a word for Claudia. And I just couldn't get a clear word. So I'm like, I'm not going to try to force it. And, uh, but I, what I wanted to come up here and do is I want us to do popcorn prophecy over her. Raise your hand. You done popcorn prophecy at the awakening. All right. So the way it goes is you yell out one or two words that are good. Okay. That you feel like Holy Spirit is saying over her like more than a conqueror, freedom, whatever it is, and you just yell it out. I'll repeat it in the microphone. Does anybody have Claudia's phone? This, uh, let's record this. Will you come up here and record it for her? Everybody remember that phone. Huh. <laughs> All right, there you go. <laughs> It's good to listen to those words. I had somebody tell me, I went up to Pennsylvania a uh, couple last weekend, and I had given a guy a word the year before, and he had recorded on his phone. He said, Travis, that was the word you gave me has changed my life. He said, I just listened. He said, it's good to read it, but he said, I just love listening to it over and over and over, and he had it recorded. So if you, uh, if you get to record it, it's, it's a good thing. All right, we ready? It's going. All right. So, you popcorn prophecy veterans, let's start it off. Queen. Beloved. 
Freedom lover. Chosen. Wild. Delighted. Strength. Wisdom. Forerunner. Sunflower. <laughs> Double on the sunflower. Pure, yes, ray of light. Authentic. Joy. Courageous, double courageous. Synced. That means it's exponential, so yeah. <laughs> Radiant, yes. Warrior. Wall climber, Jeremy. Giver, what was the other one over here? Lioness, yes. Game changer, I like. That's nice. World changer, I had that one earlier. Door opener. Let's get a few, few more, we'll close up. Light. Humble. Refuge, forerunner. Steadfast. Priceless. Obedient. Worthy, genuine, sincere. I don't know if anybody said that yet. I may have said it. Two more. Comforting, joyful. Yeah. All right, everybody, we're going to bless Claudia. And what I want you to do is you imagine, this is nothing magical or mystical about this, but simply having fun in the Lord. Imagine you got a ball of blessing in your hand. You're going to throw a fastball high and tight. At Claudia. On the counter, and we're going to say, we bless you as you throw your fastball. All right, you ready? One, two, three. Bless you. All right. <laughs> Whoa, that was good. <laughs> I felt that one. I was in the strike zone over here. So. All right, thank you, darling. All right. We're going to have uh, my good friend, Brian Pulliam, is going to be sharing the word this morning. Woo! Some circles he's known as Juan Pablo. Other circles, <laughs> other circles he's known as Puddin. <laughs> yeah. That's when you've you got a thick country accent. You can't pronounce Pulliam. You say Put. That's Brian Puddin. Um, but Brian and I actually went to school together at University of Georgia. I was a health and PE major. He was exercise science. He was taking harder classes than I was. I was taking teaching methods of badminton. He was in <laughs> biomechanics and human physiology and anatomy. And so, uh, but uh, we would pass each other in the hall and didn't really know each other that well at UGA, but just kind of, I was like, oh yeah, I recognize this guy. And, you know, we just... That was about it. We moved back to Athens, 2009, from Fort Worth. And uh, we went to uh, God's Gift to young married, young families, Chick-fil-A uh, playground. And so the Pulliams were in there. I looked at Brian. I was like, did you go to UGA? He's like, yeah. You know, and that started this whole relationship over the past uh, seven years. Um, and Brian's just uh, like a brother to me. 
He's got a lot of wisdom. He's a strength and conditioning coach at Athens Academy. And uh, very recognized in his field. He's won state awards for strength and conditioning and heads up the association for that of the state. So he's a, he's a lifelong learner. He lo always loves learning. He's always building something, creating something. And um, but I'm just excited for him to share with you what God's put in his heart. So y'all give Brian a hand as he comes up here. I tell you, God's good. Um, last night I was woken up about one o'clock, filled with fear and nervousness about this, and um, that was Satan. It wasn't God. God is um, love that drives out perf uh, drives out all fear. And um, what it did was humble me even more to be more of Him and less of myself, which is exactly where I want to be. Just to share, and I thank you for letting me come and just share my experiences and what God's taught me and continues to teach me. Um, as I grow and learn and um, just humble myself before him. Um, if you would, I want you to close your eyes and um, think about God. Just think about a picture you have of God in your mind. It could be a void. It could be your father. It could be Santa Claus, policeman. Try to be true with that image. Don't get the Sunday school answer. How do you really see God? All right, you can open your eyes. A.W. Tozer is a theologian, author. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God as the most important thing about us, because we're going to spend the rest of our life responding to that image. If it's a distant God, we're going to act a certain way. If it is um, a scar from our father and we see God as a dad, maybe he's a, a lot like our dad. Um, maybe he's a better version of our dad. But Jesus says something different. He says he's the perfection of our father. And um, we're going to talk about um, the image we have in our minds about God and how that shapes our attitudes and behaviors. And that's fundamental to us living a life that we we're intended to live from the very beginning. So um, this was my picture of God growing up. Distant old wizard. <laughs> judgmental, waiting for me to mess up. Boring, keeping me from life. Or really living. Eternal fire insurance. It was essentially where I trade this life of do's and don'ts to get a ticket to one day cash it in and really live. Um, he was always testing me. The story of Abraham and Isaac always stuck in my head. Where as soon as I fell in love with something like sports, I felt like God was waiting to take that away, just to test me and see if I loved him more than that. And this image came about um, through our family's experience of going to church. We were um, Pentecostal, and um, my parents parents were, um, especially my mother's um, mom, she was very religious and very fearful, one of the most fearful people I've ever met in my life. Not, not me being afraid of her, but she was full of fear. Um, and that was kind of what Christianity was to me, was going to church and separating ourselves from the world 
um, being in church for long services, like two, three hours, going home and just getting started and wiffle ball good, and then have to go back to Sunday night. And I really, really hated that. That's some of my worst memories in childhood. Um, and then Wednesday night, having to go again. And then when we had a revival, it was all week. And so it was essentially protecting myself from really living so that one day I can live. And um, I, don't get me wrong, I had, I had very loving parents that, that provided for me in ways that um, they didn't get provided for growing up. But it was this image of God I had in my head that when I went to college and I was here, I was gone. I was running from that. And um, it was because I wanted life to the full. That was from the very beginning, um, all my life, I wanted to experience life to the full. And I think we all do. It's just finding out what really that is. And um, to me, that wasn't life to the full, living under that, living under that fear, living under that sort of judgment all the time. And I couldn't measure up. And so when I got to college, I went just wild. And um, that's where the name Puddin' come from. Actually, it was a drunken... Um, camping trip, and one of my friends said, pudding, aha, that's going to stick, you know, and, and it did, it was just perfect timing, um, and I was, uh, I was really, really wild, um, alcohol, drugs, girls, um, and, and I was having fun doing that, I was experiencing, trying to experience life to the full, and thought I was, and again, it was sin, there's joy in sin for a season. But just like a branch is taken off a fruit tree, there's still fruit on it. But that fruit's dying because it's detached from the life source. And so that's me. I was... <laughs> I don't know if I can. Is there notes? Um, no, it's, uh, when you take a branch from a tree, the life source is gone. So it may look alive for a season, but it's already dying. It's drying up. It's not going to produce the fruit. And so I'd moved away from that life. I'd moved away from being attached to the Spirit. Even though it was a wrong image of God, it was still um, attachment to Him and trying to live my life my way and not the way I was created to live. And, uh, but in that time, I did meet some wonderful people. I've met my beautiful wife, Laura, over there. Um, and so a lot of God is good and graceful even in our troubled times. But, um, but I was a lot like the uh, prodigal son who was just gone, just running off doing his thing. And um, started to feel that sense of my life drying up, my fruit drying up. And um, God brought some other people in my life. Coach Van Hallinger, I was at U University of Georgia. Um, after I graduated, he was a strength conditioning coach. He re really began to speak into my life and encourage me to grow. It's the first time I began to see a, a pastor that wasn't employed by a 501c3 nonprofit with a Christian mission statement. He was UGA, right? And, um, and he was a pastor right in the midst of doing what he loved. And I was like, this is, this is unusual. So church extends beyond the walls. And, but I was interested, still not sold. And then on 9-11, um, when the terrorist attacks happened, I spent, that was the first day I really began to realize that we were meant to serve. We were designed to put ourselves out there for other people and less fortunate. And so I spent the rest of that day after that happened looking at um, branches of the military that I could join, um, other services like um, Red Cross and those sort of things where I could join and help and give back. And it was, a, it was something in me that just kind of woke up was like very excited. Life was exciting again. Had a passion to help people and pour yourself out for others. And then the next day, I found out my only brother committed suicide that morning. 
And so I was the only child at that point. Well, then. And, um, and so it kind of put a damper on me traveling and, and going off. I had to stay and kind of become, um, in, a, in some ways, a parent to my parents at that time. But um, in that moment, when I first found out, God became so real to me that I had this experience. And I told God in that moment, I was like, God, I can't handle this. Take me in your hand. But by the way, I want to know who this is. And if it's not Jesus, then I don't want to go that way. If it's Buddha, that's the way I want to go. This is real. This is you. This is how I want to go. So I want to scrap it all, like the song says, scrap my religion and go. And this is who I want to find. And so it began this, as Travis said earlier, this kind of journey of learning. And I think spirituality comes first through unlearning. We have to take away the old in order to be put on new. And, um, and so I began to seek truth and just seek truth. And Scripture said if you seek truth, you'll find it. He'll make himself known to you. And um, what I found was not all religions lead to God, that no religion, religions lead to God. It is a true, intimate relationship that is real and is very experiential in Jesus Christ. And he is who he says he is. And when you look at it, you can experience him. Um, you can feel him. And as we grow and we learn to walk, we wake up to his reality and begin to truly live as we were created to live from the very beginning. Um, and so that began this process. But I w went from, you can go to the next side. I went from sort of the prodigal son, where I was out on my wayward way, to the other brother. As I went head first into Christianity, and, and to me that was church, so I went in right into um, serving at churches and um, leadership positions and that sort of thing, and began this sort of take on the embodiment of this sort of self-righteous brother in the story of the prodigal son. And I think that's the way Satan, C.S. Lewis says this, as he, he tempts us in two, so we reject one and, or gravitate toward the other and, and, and miss the radical middle that's the truth. And um, so it's like I am um, always trying to surrender to letting him redefine who I am and take away the old. Um, but I was walking around the pond at Athens Academy, um, and it hit me. That, um, that my image of God wasn't fully him. How could it could be? How could it be? How could I get my mind around God? And Paul says in 1 Corinthians that, um, for we see now in a mirror dimly, and literally that means in a riddle. And those, by the way, are the mirrors that they used back then. Those are probably good mirrors, uh, ancient Roman mirrors. So very, not a very good reflection of what we would see when we look in, into reality. Um, it says, but then, face to face, now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. And why is this? And it helped me to realize that we have limitations, that we're a, we're a finite being relating to an infinite being. And even Moses, when he said, I want to get my mind around you so I can put you in this box and go download you to others, God said, you don't have anything there that relates to me. I am who I am. And you can't get your mind around me. Um, we're spiritually dead. The most, um, you know, we experience things with our five senses. If we can't f touch, hear, taste it, smell it, it doesn't exist. Um, but, but that experience I had was a very real spiritual experience. And I believe we were designed to be spiritual beings, having a 
physical experience, not the other way around. Um, and so what we, what we um, also realize in our limitations uh, of our brains is when we define something, by definition of defining, we limit it. In order to use it as a piece of knowledge, we have to put boundaries around it and so that we can actually call upon that and use it. But the problem with putting boundaries around something is we do that, we limit it, and it becomes this sort of thing that we can use and dismiss, and um, it's very limited. So how much do we really know about an oak tree? We know certain things about it, but, but we don't know it fully. Just like I think that's what draws us when we go to these um, foreign countries when we visit, and we see a bird, we're like, oh, a bird. What kind of bird is that? We hadn't labeled it and dismissed it. A tree. Oh, what kind of tree is that? And we're still in this exploratory state. And, um, and that's that, that, ver that, that life and being full of life and, um, and seeing things anew. And uh, I started to realize that, that I'd done that with God, that I'd put him in a box. And how could I get my mind around God? And, for instance, one of the things there is like we, we, we draw on our, our experiences to put uh, a definition on certain things, and then we relate to that. Um, for instance, Travis may come up to me with a new uh, pit bull. I'm going to be like, nice dog. I'm going to keep my distance, and I'm going to ask certain questions because I have certain experiences with pit bulls. And Jesse may come up to me with a new lab, um, a golden retriever. And I probably won't hesitate at all, go over and start petting it right away. But in reality, the lab could be rabid, and this could be a puppy. And so we, we, draw, upon these sort of, we draw upon these sort of thoughts, but they're not the truth. We don't, we just, that's what we have to do. We're limited in that. And so um, what I realized was, and this is in, in teaching, the more we know, the more we realize we don't know. Because our knowledge leads to ultimate humility. The more we learn about the universe, it doesn't get smaller. It gets bigger. What next? What next? What next? The more, we know, the more we know about the atomic structure, the deeper it goes. And we're looking at quantum physics and quirks and string theory and, and multiple dimensions and those sort of things. And so it always leads to this state of humility that something bigger beyond our comprehension is there. Go ahead. So this story of an older gentleman was sharing this with me one time, and it really made a lot of sense to me and answered a lot of questions. Um, we have to, in order to relate to someone, something that they can't understand, we have to use things they do understand. But then they get a crude picture of that thing. Does that make sense? So if we're going to explain to a group of Native Americans, and I love Native Americans, by the way. I hope, I think I am one. Um, my, my grandparents say I have Native American blood in me, and I'm afraid to get um, tested because I may not, so I'm just hanging on to it. Um, so... The, uh, if we go back 700 years and we look at um, this group of Native Americans and we want to explain to them what an airplane is, how do we do that? It's like a bird. There you go. What else? Like a canoe in the sky. Good. Is, this bi is it small? How big? Yeah, as big as that tree? Yeah, so bit bigger than those trees. It's loud as you build it like a canoe or like a teepee, and it's as loud as um, thunder, and it, it has eyes down the side of it. And so you see they get this crude idea of an airplane, but it's not a real airplane. 
right? Does that make sense? And if they hang on to that image, if the real one flies over, they're going to miss it, right? And so then you hear, you, the cool thing about this is you see this tribe over here hearing that story and this tribe over here hearing that story, and they get in their mind a golden eagle, and they have a bald eagle, and they have a cedar tree and an oak tree and green eyes and blue eyes, and they fight over which one is right, right? And then the true airplane flies over, and they're like, it's the devil, kill it. <laughs> and so this is what happened to Jesus, right? This is what happened to Jesus. And we have to realize our limitations. Me as a strength coach, I don't, it doesn't matter how much biomechanics I know. I have to communicate to a person who wants to jump higher in basketball why it's important to squat and how to squat safely. Okay? And so those are the sort of things that, that you have to limit your knowledge in order to communicate to, the, to your audience. And so one of the things um, I think that really govern us more than anything is our paradigm and how we see the world. And um, you want to try that clip? Or let me talk. Um, this is a boring little kind of a weird segue into this with the music, but um, um, Stephen Covey does a really good job explaining a principle in one of his books about a paradigm and what it is. Go ahead. And there's no, it's just audio, really. Now I'd like to introduce you to another key word, paradigm. Paradigm is a scientific term. Simply it means a mental image that you have in your mind of the way things are out there. These are the images we carry in our head of reality. And these images come from our backgrounds, our own experiences. They represent the implicit assumptions of our lives. See, all of us think we see the world as it is, but in reality, we see the world as we are. We project out of our own conditioning experiences, our background, a certain representation, a certain model, a certain set of expectations, a certain assumption on what reality is out there. And we think that's the way it is. I might describe myself, I might describe you, I might describe a situation as if I were describing it as it is. In fact, I am describing myself, that is, my perceptions of you and me and situations. It's my frame of reference, my worldview, my value system, my autobiography. In other words, I am describing myself and then projecting it upon the outside. Let me illustrate this from an experience I had in a very large metropolitan city. It was Sunday morning, very quiet and sedate feeling. There was a bunch of young kids ran into the subway and their father followed. The father sits right next to me, and the kids just go crazy on that subway, running up and down, turning people's papers aside. They're very, very rude, very raucous. I'm sitting there, and inwardly I'm saying, I can't believe this. This father right next to me does nothing. Now, notice my attitude. I try to exercise some control over it so that I am not too obviously critical. But look, what can I see? But after a few minutes, my attitude went into my behavior. And I just said to this gentleman, Sir, do you think you could control your children a little? They're very upsetting to people. Oh, yeah, yeah. He lifted his head as if he came to an awareness of what was happening. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, guess, I guess I should. I, we just left the hospital. And 
Their mother died just about an hour ago, and I guess they don't know how to take it, and frankly, I don't either. Now imagine the paradigm shift that took place. See, my whole view of reality shifted. As you listen to this story, you probably also experienced this paradigm shift because this new information gets you to see the whole situation differently. We call that shifting a paradigm. You see, attitude and behavior flow from our paradigms, how we see reality. Well, I saw that whole situation differently when I had this new information. And that totally changed my attitude and my behavior. My only desire was to try to help, to better understand, and also to try to serve him in some ways. And I did, in fact, serve him in various ways for a while. But see, the thing that impressed me was the 180-degree shift in the way I saw the whole situation and how that impacted my attitude and my behavior. It just teaches you forcibly that how you see something affects how you feel, that is your attitude, and what you do, that is your behavior. Can you see why paradigms are much deeper than attitude or behavior? Most development programs focus upon attitude and behavior. And both of these, of course, are very important. But far more fundamental than either attitude or behavior is a paradigm. So he explains that better than I could. Um, Stephen Covey, he wrote uh, Seven Habits of Highly Affected People and Teens and Families and all sorts of stuff. Um, several books on that, very good. Um, but again, our paradigm is something that most of the time we don't even see. So um, we don't even know we're looking through a shaded lens. And if we're all in here and have different colored glasses on uh, and I hold a piece of white paper, um, some that have blue shades will see the paper as blue and some that have red will see it as red and others will see it. And again, you go back to arguing over who's right, but realize that we're looking through a lens that's, that's limited based on our limitation. Um, so it begins, it's this, this window we see into the world. And when we begin to see as God sees, we act as God acts. So we see people as God sees them. And so it's easy to love our enemy when we see them as God's children. And it's not an act that we do. It's a, it's a new light in which we see them. For instance, if, if uh, this is a very weird example, but if Millie walked in here, my youngest daughter, and she was um, just demon-possessed and like the exorcist, that sort of thing, I wouldn't try to kill her. You know, I would help her. Everything in me would put myself in harm's way to, to do everything I can to help her. And so that's, that's what we're looking at when we see the, the effects of sin acting upon our enemies in this world is not, is not them. It is a force acting upon them. And so we begin to see through God's eyes, and, and, and these actions aren't even, we don't even measure the fact that we're, we're loving our enemy. We just do because we see them different. Um, next. And so this, um, this also kind of shows, going back to... Um, Romans 2, this, this idea of we're living in, and um, Travis alluded to this earlier, this sense of uh, there's a world that we don't see. There's a world that, that, is, that is truth, and uh, we have to wake up to it. Maybe that's where the name awakening come from, similar to that experience of waking up to the reality of Jesus. And, um, and so for this, if you've never seen the movie Matrix, um, just kind of bear with it. It's in probably, some of you have probably seen this clip used in sermons and that sort of thing before. But um, just imagine that Morpheus, this Lawrence Fishburne, is, as the character of Jesus in this movie, 
uh, clip. And then Neo is, is us, is Keanu Reeves. Um, and then imagine the red and, um, pill being that of salvation and discipleship. And then a blue pill being living just in a normal life, unaware totally of the spiritual world that we're living in. want to know what it is. The Matrix is everywhere. It is all around us. Even now in this very room. You can see it when you look out your window or when you turn on your television. You can feel it when you go to work, when you go to church, when you pay your taxes. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. What truth? That you are a slave, Neo. Like everyone else, you were born into bondage, born into a prison that you cannot smell or taste or touch. A prison for your mind. Unfortunately, no one can be told what the Matrix is. You have to see it for yourself. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill, the story ends, you wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Remember, all I'm offering is the truth, nothing more. Um, so in the light of that, when we read Romans 12 too, I think it has a little bit of different meaning about not conforming to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Then we'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And so we have to realize that there is this pattern of the world that's operating on us. It's the lies that we've been told by our family, by um, those, our enemies, by um, our genetics, by the world around us that says that you're not good enough, that you should fear, that you should have to prove, all these sort of things that, that are not your true identity is, the, is like the, is the pattern of the world that's causing you to miss out who you're created to be. Um, and God offers us not only salvation for eternal life, but also eternal life is, this, is by definition, there is no beginning and end. It's something we enter into now. We begin to live the way we were created to live from the very beginning, which is at one in intimate relationship with, with God through Jesus Christ. And, um, and so we see that um, 
that, that the kingdom of God is the reality. We learn to hear that. We learn to see that and function in that truth, not the other truth. We begin to live that life that we're designed to live. Um, and in order to do this, that's why Jesus talks so much about you must be born again, to humble ourselves back to realize that we don't have it all figured out, that God is bigger than who we think he is, and he's better than who we think he is, and um, he loves us more than we think he does, and um, humbling ourselves to that. Next time. Um, and so back, back to that um, scenario with the, um, the Native Americans in the airplane, visualizing Jesus as that airplane. He came, and he's going to be a conqueror. He's going to liberate Israel, and they were expecting a Roman ruler by might, but he came with self-sacrificial love. And so they missed the kingdom ruler because they were looking through the worldly eyes and the worldly paradigm. And they missed out on the reality of what God has been revealing up until that point through the Old Testament, pointing to this, this Savior who is coming to save you from the world that you live in and um, to re be reunited back to him as we were created to live from the very beginning. And, um, and it also says that um, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus came that we may have life and have it abundantly. And there, there was my answer there. I wanted life to the full. How can Jesus be that life to the full? And he is. He shows us. He reunites us with God, the very, our Father, our perfect Father that, that empowers us with his Holy Spirit, that we can be now who we will be even more glorious forever and ever and ever. All right, go ahead. Um, so the, the way Jesus revealed the Father was these two things here, um, as I see it. Right off the bat, he was revealed as Emmanuel, who is God with us. And um, when, you know, that means always present. In Matthew 1, um, 23, and the angel comes to Joseph, and, and nobody gives Joseph enough credit, I don't think. Because, I mean, he hadn't heard of the virgin birth at this point, right? And so, um, but it said, behold, um, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. So God is with us. He is for us, with us. Like, he loves you. He's, he's present, and he's, he's for you, and he's a loving daddy. So in order to understand that, Jesus talks about the uh, Abba Father, which is a, a little translation in that is like what a, a small child would refer to their daddy as, a very intimate Almost like daddy is the closest word we can really describe it as, but um, just very intimate. Not lofty father, distant way away, but very intimate, close relationship. And so, um, but here's the thing. Where did we go wrong? From the very beginning, God was revealed this way. He was revealed as a very present, perfect father that we walked hand in hand with Adam and Eve in the garden. And there was only one rule. Don't try to be like me. Let me be the judge. Let me know right from wrong. You don't know right from wrong. It's not what you were designed to do. Let me handle that. Be totally dependent upon me and interdependent with each other. And it was looked like a family, not a religion. And they walked and walked and walked, and then they were deceived one day. And, and it was pretty cool how they were deceived. Um, it says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? 
So right there is the first sentence in recorded history where there's a conversation about God that didn't involve God. And he was there, right? He was there. So if Eve would have said, I don't know, let's ask him. I think the whole thing would have been squashed, <laughs> right? And just like, it'd be like Ella going to the front door. There's a stranger there. It says, didn't your daddy say be nice to strangers? Let me in, let me in. Didn't he say? And she says, I don't know. Let me ask him. I guarantee it's going to be squashed. <laughs> and so that's what happens when you're a present father. They're, they're there to help. You're not called to be their answer. And so um, Eve gives the first sermon of history when she tries to speak on God's behalf. And, um, and she messes it up. She adds to it and creates a little bit of religion in there where God didn't say, don't touch. But she added that, went a little extra and uh, built a little extra fence there. And um, through this, she was deceived. And the unity and, the, and the, um, the closeness they had with God and therefore the closeness they had with each other was, was, was destroyed because they tried to embody God through that decision. So which do you see? The God revealed by the fall or the God revealed, revealed by Jesus who's a present perfect father, a daddy who holds our hand, teaches us how to walk. That as C.S. Lewis says, when we walk, when we're truly trying to walk, God is pleased even with our stumbles. And it's, it's, imagine me as a dad watching my one-year-old learn to walk. Am I going to get angry that they fall? No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to separate. I'm going to create around them a boundary, a safe zone for them to fall. And I'm going to help them when I need to help, but I'm going to let them fall as well because I'm teaching them to do something and empowering them to do something. And that's where my paradigm really began to shift when I became a dad. And it's like, it just, everything, if you're a new parent, everything changes. Everything, the way you see the world changes. It's like that love that, it, that just comes about, is, it's just unreal. And, and that's why I think God made this father-son relationship, um, bless you, um, so, um, so forefront in, um, in, our, in our lives. And, and so when I read this, it's like, uh, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And so if Ella and Millie ask me anything, I'm going to, if it's in their benefit. Now, when I was three years old, all I wanted more in life and um, more than anything in the world was a Rambo knife. But my dad, because he loved me, did not give me a Rambo knife, right? And it wasn't out of him being angry or resentful toward me or distant or not granting my wish or not even hearing me. It was because I wasn't ready for a Rambo knife. And now I have a bunch of Rambo knives. Um, so what, what happened was when I saw this one morning, I went... Um, Ella was probably two, and she loved, 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 loved waffles. And so I go in there, and she's crying. And first words out of her mouth are, baffle, baffle, baffle. And she's crying a lot. Okay, she's hungry. So I take her into the kitchen, put her in the, um, the high chair, strap her in, what she hates, and she's screaming, kicking, wanting a baffle, baffle, baffle. And I go over, and I open the freezer, and I take out a box of waffles. And I take one out, and she sees it. She's like, Papa, 
Bobo. She's so excited. And I walk right past her and put it in a toaster, which disappears before her eyes, and she starts screaming all over again. Bobo! Screaming and crying. And then what's probably seemed like eternity to her, I'm going to getting milk. She didn't ask for milk, but I'm getting milk. I'm getting out the syrup. I'm getting out the plates, all these sort of things. Um, then all of a sudden, the waffle pops back up, and she screams again, Bobo, Bobo, Bobo. I was excited. I take it out right before her eyes, put it on her plate, and still don't give it to her. I cut it up, and she is, like, screaming for it at this time. And then when it's ready, I hand it to her, and I hand her the syrup, and I hand her the milk, and I hand her the plate. And I look back, and I was like, did she not understand what I was doing? And I was like, she didn't. She really didn't. And that's me. I'm in that chair. I'm a two-year-old that says, God, I want this. I want this. I want this. You don't hear me. Where is it? And he's like, I hear you. Let me get you ready. Let me get it ready. And he went before me, just like I went before her and bought the, um, the high chair. I went to the grocery store and bought those waffles way before she asked. Bought the syrup. If I, what kind of loving father would I be if I'd have given her the cold waffle? There you go. Take it. Good luck. Or the, burnt, or the hot waffle, you know? And so here is Dad in all his loving glory denying me something that I want more than anything in life itself because I'm not ready or is not ready. And I think we need to sit on that for a little bit and realize that God is a present father. He hears you. He hears your request. He is loving. He is good. And he wants what's best for you. He's not going to burn you with what you're asking. And he's not going to deny you something that's good for you. And I, I just, I, that, that paradigm of being a father just, it just, it makes just, it's such a sermon every day to me where I see like this God of the Old Testament, what in the world? I mean, all these rules and regulations and, and things like that. I was like, now all of a sudden Jesus says, just, just love, and that's it? Is God schizophrenic, or what's going on? I mean, why the big flip-flop? But what I started thinking about as a parent, my 2-year-old is going to get parented different than my 16-year-old. My 16-year-old doesn't have a no-no line that she can't cross in the road. My 2-year-old can't touch a light socket. So in the house, there's all these rules that are based on two things, be safe and prosper. And so as they mature, as you're able to handle these certain things, more is given. So as we get more revelation of who God is, he can sum it up and say, love me with all you are and love others as yourself. That all those rules were designed to lead to this. And just like when Ella's 16, hopefully, I can get, she can get the keys to the car and drive past the no-no line, and I'll just say, be safe and prosper. And she can go and make those decisions because she's been brought up knowing my heart for her. My heart doesn't change, but the rules do because of who she is and how she has gone through revelation. So, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> so what, um, what are we to do is uh, realize that Life to the full is found in righteousness. And righteousness means right relationship with. So in order to have a right relationship with God, we have to see God for who he is and see ourselves as we are in his eyes. 
Righteousness is not following a list of do's and don'ts better than this person or that person. It is being in right relationship with. And so back before the fall, we see that again. We're in right relationship with, and things are different. Jesus came as a second Adam to restore that to humanity, to bring us back to what we were created to live from the very beginning. Um, Humble ourselves to realize that we don't know that God is bigger than that bigger than our minds, the box we put him in. And it's a daily process of submitting to him as a living sacrifice, not something that we just, we die and surrender ourselves to. He doesn't want that. He wants us just to lay out down everything so that we can ask him, what are you inviting me into today? And how can you change my mind and change the way I see the world in order to to bring your kingdom to this place and to be an agent for your kingdom? And then we're not in it alone. It's not up to us. It's the Holy Spirit that's present. Learning to hear the Holy Spirit, learning to hear his voice, the exercises, the, um, the spiritual disciplines of, of just praying, of acting service, of prophesying, those sort of things where we learn to step out in obedience and hear what God's saying and, and acknowledge the fact that his voice is present. That we just got to wake up to it and hear it and obey it. And the more we obey, the louder it gets. And the louder it gets, the easier it is for us to recognize it. It's a practice. Again, just like that little kid holding the hand of the father. I love it because he's just so off balance. And that's us. We're just so off balance, learning and falling. But he's right there helping us along the way. So what I'm learning is a moment-by-moment process of Taking on the mind of Christ, seeing God is present. He loves me. He likes me. He wants me to experience life to the full as he teaches me to live the way I was created to live in right relationship with him and others. Ultimately, it looks like total dependence on God, our daddy, and interdependence with each other, our brothers and sisters. And when you look at those two things, Jesus said to me, that kind of adds up, right? Total dependence on God, and we think the way of the world to be mature is to be independent. The more independent we are, the more mature we are. In the body of Christ, in the kingdom of God, the more dependent we are, the more mature we are. I think Martin Luther said it one morning, today is so busy, it's such a hectic day that I don't have time to spend my normal one hour of quiet time. I need two. And that's a shift. That's a shift from moving like, I don't have time for you to God, I really need you. I need you right now, and I need you always. And, um, and then interdependent with each other, realizing that God is revealed through the body, through each other, through our unique gifts and quirks and talents and mistakes and um, our relationships. So exercise. Just ask God to show you more of him. Ask him to shatter the box we put him in, to realize there is a box we put him in, and to practice bringing him to the forefront. Um, practice knowing that he is with you. He's present. He's a loving, loving daddy. And I tell you, if he loves you, and he does, way more than I can love those girls back there, we have nothing to worry about. So um, I want you to close your eyes. And imagine God, not as you see him, but as he's revealed through Jesus. 
That's the reality. He's a loving daddy. He'll do anything in the world for you. When he looks at you, you don't owe him anything. He just wants you to love him. Father God, I thank you for you. I thank you for being the Father you are, for revealing yourself to us. Father, I thank you for each other. I thank you for providing the relationships around us that we can know you more and be your vessel of the kingdom of God to this earth. Father, I thank you for the gift of your son and his spirit with us. Help us, Lord, to just to hear his spirit, to know his spirit. Father, give us the courage to obey. Help us to live as your sons and daughters that are truly beloved just as we are. And there's nothing we can do to earn it. You're our daddy. You're always with us. You're better than we can ever imagine. Keep breaking that box and add more goodness. Thank you, Father. So if we have the worship team come up, I want to, uh, we're going to have a time of ministry, and I, I feel like um, something the Lord may want to do during the ministry time is if you need just uh, a revelation of the Father's love. Man, Brian, Chuck, if you want to come up here too. Um, dad, guys that have been in the dad game a little bit. <laughs> um, we're just gonna we're just gonna do some hug ministry, and uh, we're gonna ask God to make our arms like His arms. And he will come, and you will be baptized in the Father's love. And so there, I believe that there's three baptisms that you, you have an opportunity to, to receive. When you receive Jesus, there's water baptism. Your old life is dead, your new creation in Christ. There's the baptism of the Holy Spirit where he's not only inside you, but he's on you for others. And then there's the baptism of the Father's love because in Matthew 28, he says, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's just my opinion. But I believe it's available because I've experienced it. I've seen hundreds of people experience it. And um, so we're going we're gonna to worship. Me and Brian... Chuck, if you want to come up here, Chuck's been a dad. He's in his second generation of children right now. And so uh, he's got grandkids, and now he's being a dad all over again. So if you want, if you just feel like God's tugging on your heart, if like, hey, I just, I want to know you as a good father. 
We'll come up here and we'll hug, we'll hug on you. All right, and God's going to do something just through simply a hug, just because he's good like that. Okay? If you also, if you, I want you to stand up and worship. If you do not know Jesus Christ, he came, Jesus said, I came for this reason, to show you the Father.